0: Fair Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregg. We're from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to strip away everything that is hindering marriage and get back to what God intended. And I am joined, as almost always, by my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. And before we get started, a couple of really fun housekeeping things. Mm -hmm. I think they're fun. Yes. You can give us money. That's fun. Yes, it's so fun. That is so much fun. So, No, if you're someone
1: who believes that the Christian world really needs better research into what works and what doesn't, and that we need to stop giving people advice that makes things worse, Mm -hmm. um, our Patreon is pretty much there to help fund our research efforts because most people who do research to the level that Joanna is doing have like government grants through university (laughs) and and we do not. And so I think that uh, if you are really passionate about, you know, educating people on what is actually good fruit of Christ and what we have actually found is really damaging and bad please head over there. The link will be in the podcast description below. Yes, but it is patreon.com
0: slash marriage, and you can support us for as little as $5 a month. You get lots of unfiltered podcasts, lots of extra fun stuff. Second thing, we are starting to give away stuff. That's fun. Uh Because... All kinds of you listen to this podcast and yet I write posts all the time and we are in the middle of an amazing series on the blog on direct communication. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, And I just don't want you to miss out on the posts, So I am encouraging all of my podcast listeners to sign up for our email list because then you can get the posts in your inbox either daily or a weekly synopsis of all of the posts and you can look at them at your leisure. So there is a link to subscribe to our emails and we are going to give a prize out. So we have two prizes to give away this week um one orgasm course to someone who signed up in the last week and one to someone who's been signed up for longer Mm -hmm. um and those will be announced in our friday email so sign up to see um those winners have been notified and then next week we are going to be giving away our sexy dares that's right who wants some fun dares so so again sign up subscribe it helps us so much and we appreciate you all listening so Now to communicate directly. I think that was direct communication. I think so. Give us money, join our email list. Yes, so that we can give you things for free. Yes, that's that's direct communication. So now (laughs) let's talk about direct communication in marriage, which is our theme for the month. Okay, (laughs) Let's go over what direct communication is. And basically, it's not that difficult. What it means is when you're communicating, you are stating what you actually think
1: and want. You're not beating around the bush. You're not hinting. You're not not talking about something in the hopes that it'll lead to something else. Right. Not being passive aggressive.
0: Yes. Like um, the the famous one is that line from uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm -hmm. You know, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck that moves the head. And And she can
1: turn the head
0: any way she
1: wants. Right. (laughs) So What
0: they mean by that is that she can find ways to manipulate him by hinting at things so that he will think an idea is actually his. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about how to get what you want through manipulation. And that's not direct communication. funny in a movie it's not what we want to aspire to exactly (laughs) so um, I've got six elements of direct communication again these are all in blog posts I will put the links there but I actually do want to go over these in the podcast because We're going to be directing couples to this podcast, to listen to, to help them talk through a lot of these things. And at the end of the month, we'll be sending out an email with with some exercises that couples can do together to try to improve their communication. So we want to go over all of these big things first. So what does direct communication look like? Number one, you manage your emotions when you do want to communicate something to your spouse, you do it when you're not like super angry or ready to burst into tears. Yeah. Like it's okay to communicate in those in those, but that's not going to be super helpful. So, <laughs> like, let's just find a way where you can communicate without yelling or without dissolving into a puddle of, of
1: of something. Yeah, and sometimes something is a big issue and it's very emotional for you, and you're not going to be able to communicate it without being emotional. Mm-hmm. That's also mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. But
0: as much as you can process that beforehand, so that you're not attacking and and yeah. you know, and going at it that way first is helpful
1: the second one is owning your thoughts and feelings is a really important part of direct communication you know like saying this is how this is affecting me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: i feel this and this is and then stating your aim so what is it that you want from the conversation like Mm -hmm. okay i'm really upset and i just need you to listen to me i don't need you to fix anything i just need you to listen so that i process or all right we need to work something out because we can't keep going like this. And Mm -hmm. so I would like to figure out a way around it. You know, like, are you, do you just want them to listen? Do you want them to to brainstorm with you for some solutions? Or do you want them to actually address something that they're doing?
1: Yeah. And do you not know what you want yet, but you can tell them, I don't know what I want, but I need to talk it through. Mm -hmm. That's okay too, but
0: just make Mm -hmm. it very clear. (laughs) Yeah. And then once you do know what you want, ask clearly. Yes. Like I gave an example in nine thoughts that can change your marriage, uh, of a woman of how, how often we don't communicate well. So a couple is in the kitchen and they're cleaning up after Thanksgiving dinner. And the mom comes into the kitchen, the, the, the husband's mother and says, oh, poor aunt Betty in that nursing home. It's just so hard for her. Cause she's still got her mind and all of the other residents, they've lost their minds. And mm-hmm. so there's just no one for aunt Betty to talk to. Mm-hmm. And, poor Aunt Betty. And then the mom walks out of the kitchen and the wife turns to the husband and says, your mother wants you to go visit Aunt Betty. (laughs) (laughs) And the husband says, no, she did. My mother is not trying to get me to do that. If she had wanted me to do that, she would have asked me. And he calls the mom back in and says, were you trying to get me to go see Aunt Betty? And she says, well, of course I was. It's about time you made that suggestion. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But again, the mother never asked. So ask clearly
1: for what you want. And then of course, allow for your spouse to respond, Mm -hmm. you know, because you can ask for something, you can be feeling something, you can be experiencing something that your spouse can then say, okay, I recognize that's what's going on. Have you considered it from this perspective? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to give them the space to respond. Yeah, because they may not, you may, you may really want something. Yeah. But that doesn't mean your spouse has to want the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> or that it's even a valid thing to be wanting right now. Yes. You know, and and this is one of the things where having a spouse where you can talk clearly with each other can help you weed out. Is Mm. this something that's important and should really be a value and a priority for both of us? Or is this something where, you know, we both need to learn to let go of it? And then the last one, and I think this is the one that we often miss is the follow through. Mm -hmm. And
0: I explain it like this. Say what you mean, but then mean what you say. Yeah. Because if you're saying something to your spouse that you truly mean, like if you're saying, I cannot go on with you using porn. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this needs to stop in our marriage. Mm -hmm. Like I am no longer going to tolerate this. And then your spouse does nothing about it. You didn't actually mean that you weren't going to tolerate this. (laughs) Yeah. Or
1: if you say things like I am no longer willing to be in essence, the housemaid and the full time nanny and everything else in the family Mm -hmm. while you just play video games. And then a day later, he's playing video games and you just huff around while you clean the kitchen
0: Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. don't actually
1: make a fuss about it.
0: Yeah, then you're not actually directly communicating because your actions aren't matching your words. Yeah. And so it's very important that your actions and your words match. And that's why this is this is a big point for you. So I'm going to let you make this point. Mm-hmm. But you think a lot of the talk about nagging is overblown.
1: Oh, gosh, I hate the talk about nagging. I don't think nagging's a thing to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, like because a lot of times when we say women shouldn't nag, what we mean is she says, I need you to do the dishes. Mm-hmm. because that needs to be your job. So every night after dinner, when I put the kids in their bath, I need you to do the dishes. Mm-hmm. And, and let's then, say he agrees. Yeah, and he says, okay, we can do that. Maybe he grumbles, but he's like, yeah, fine. And then day one comes and maybe he does the dishes day one. That's great. But day two, he doesn't do the dishes. And so he mm-hmm. says, "Hun, you need to go do the dishes. And then he doesn't do the dishes. And so just Honey, you need to do the dishes. And she goes again and again and again. Why aren't the dishes done? You know, haven't you done the dishes? I really need you to do the dishes. And he says, Okay, fine, stop nagging. And then he goes and he does the dishes. Mm-hmm. And then ahead of, the next day, she realizes I'm gonna get ahead of this to make sure that the dishes are done in time for me to do some meal prep for the next day mm-hmm. instead of having to stay up until 10 at night. So, right as dinner is ending, she starts saying, Make sure you do the dishes. Make sure that you're doing the dishes. Are you gonna do the dishes? And he says, Yeah, I'm gonna do the dishes, yeah, I'm gonna do the dishes. But he still doesn't actually do the dishes on time. He still mm-hmm. gets, you know, mm-hmm. goes in the computer. And plays a game with his buddy And so then she has to come back down and say you didn't do the dishes Now she's embarrassing him in front of his friend Apparently cause mm-hmm. she has to remind him to do the dishes If he just did the dishes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like if he just did what he said He was gonna do there'd be no need to nag You know, it's not nagging if your boss has to continually remind you to send the reports you're supposed to send every Monday Mm -hmm. to your, you know, uh, next person along the project line. Yeah. That's not nagging. That's you failing to do your job if you have to be reminded. Yeah. And I think that if we were able to see maintaining the home, taking care of the kids, if if men started to see that as another career of theirs, Mm -hmm. as an, an extension of their job, like you have two jobs. You have your job that makes money.
0: Mm -hmm. And then you have
1: your job that maintains the house. And what are your responsibilities in each of those? And you have to get them done. And if you don't get them done, then it's not nagging. Right. Yeah. And
0: I, there's, there's different ways to do that. There's ways to have consequences so that, you know, yeah. this, this, this back and forth conversation. But if you feel happen, like your spouse
1: is constantly nagging at you, maybe look at yourself and ask why mm-hmm. do they feel
0: they have to nag? Yeah. Cause there is a big difference between someone who's constantly picking at someone. Yes. And someone who's merely reminding somebody to do something that they failed to do that they promised.
1: to well, do. Well, and also about the picking too. A lot of people will say, yeah, I'll do the dishes, but then like they don't actually scrub the pans properly and mm-hmm. they use soap on the seasoned stainless steel pans. Pan yeah. And ruin all of her work seasoning. And even though she's told him 84 times, you cannot use soap on that pan. Right. And like, mm-hmm. like, there's all these things. It's like, Well, I did it. You're just being perfectionist. No, she's not. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. is that you're not doing it to the appropriate standards. Yeah. So like, and, again, be very careful when you say someone's nagging because most people don't want to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Most like, and they we do have reaction. a post from last year's series on emotional load on how to end nagging. Yeah. Um, how to end that nagging dynamic, which I think was really helpful, which is learning how to own, um, whole aspects of a task. Okay. And, uh, Keith and Connor, our husbands talked about yep. that on a podcast recently too, is how, how owning something in its entirety can help, um, stop that dynamic so you know we we understand that this that this nagging dynamic is not a helpful one what we're saying is that it's not necessarily her problem (laughs) yeah and it's not and and it's not a communication issue Mm -hmm. it's a follow-through issue yeah and so how how she can learn to follow through in a more appropriate way so that there's consequences but how he can also learn he needs to live up to his responsibilities those are both really important issues okay so why is this so darn hard? I know like if direct communication is something which we should all be doing, why don't we? And so let's look at five big reasons why people don't and i think the first one is we genuinely don't know how yeah and i think a lot of people grow up not knowing how yeah right they never saw it modeled they never saw people actually speak directly Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's 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 that we don't have skills to speak directly but sometimes it's also that we don't even have skills to recognize what we want or feel Mm -hmm. because if you were never taught as a child how to recognize your own emotions Mm -hmm. then it's very difficult to ask for what you want because you don't even know how to put it into words.
1: Yeah, or even if you can know what you want, if you've been conditioned from very, very young that you're not allowed to ask for it. Mm -hmm. You know, because in your family that was punished. Right. You know, whether it was like outright punished or whether there were social ramifications. Yeah. You know, I think that can set up a lot of people for just a lot of difficulty in marriages later. Yeah. Because a lot of people were taught that they don't have a right to certain feelings. So yeah.
0: the only emotion that many men were taught they were allowed to have, like negative emotion, and I don't like the term negative because I think all emotions are okay, but mm-hmm. but um, is anger. And the only emotion girls are allowed to have is sadness. Mm-hmm. And so you're not allowed to express like loneliness or regret. Um, rejection or fear or shame or any of these things because that was considered bad in your family yeah and so you just don't know how to communicate about these things and if you can't even recognize your own emotions how are you
1: supposed to communicate with your spouse about them yeah so that's number one number two number two we are scared that the relationship isn't solid enough to handle our needs yeah yeah, mm-hmm. having big relationship issues can be a really big issue when it comes to communicating directly. We actually aren't talking about that much this month, no, that particular we're not. one. If that's you, if you say, "Yeah, I'd love to talk, but my whole marriage would fall apart if I did," mm-hmm. um, we're talking about that later this yeah. this fall yeah. on the blog. Yeah, my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Help That Can Change Your Marriage, can help mm-hmm. with that too. Um,
0: the next one is more like vulnerability issues, where you just have you just feel really unsafe. Yeah, if you let people in, and it's not even that your relationship is necessarily unsafe it's like you yourself feel unsafe if you identify your emotions because it means you're being vulnerable
1: yeah it's it's a it's it's this fear of vulnerability in general not that your spouse has proven to you that you cannot be vulnerable with them Mm -hmm. because if if your spouse has proven to you that you cannot be vulnerable with them that's a whole other barrel of worms yeah Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's more are there barrels of worms i don't know there's cans of worms (laughs) barrel of What's the barrel? There's barrels of monkeys. I like that. that's right. I don't know. A whole <laughs> other can of worms. Yeah. This is pregnancy brain right here. This is, that's how that works. No, but mm-hmm. I think that's, that's just a big one is if you're not comfortably vulnerable, if you don't feel like you can let your walls down, how are you supposed to be able to just directly say, this is what I want. And then open yourself up to rejection.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there's just practical issues where you just don't have the bandwidth. Like, yeah. Like, let's say that you know that the way you're doing the housework is unsustainable, that you feel absolutely exhausted and you're at the end of your rope. But he's also at the end of his rope because he's in the middle of exams. And you have a kid who has an ear infection. And while you can't handle this anymore, the thought of even talking about it and addressing it, Is just so overwhelming. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes it's a short term thing. Like maybe, yeah, maybe you have Mm -hmm. a a spouse who's in school and it's like, yeah, these two weeks are going to be hell. And then we can talk about it at the end of the month, Mm -hmm. you know, but sometimes it's a little bit longer too. Like what if you have uh, issues with your sex life and you know that it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time to work through and you want to have better sex life, but you're looking at, you got three kids under the age of four, two of Mm -hmm. which have special needs. Mm -hmm. You are barely making ends meet. You're both working shift work. Like yeah it's one of those things where you where it might feel like even if we could talk about it there's nothing we can do about it right yeah now. and so you just leave it and it festers and we're actually going to be addressing that that's yeah. going to be our series
0: in september on yeah. doing marriage on hard mode and how we can stop doing that yeah exactly yeah because that isn't sustainable and then the last one which is actually kind of an important one mm-hmm. this is a very important one is spiritual issues where women especially, but men too, for different reasons can hesitate to communicate directly because we feel like to do so is a sin. Yep. And, Let me give you an example. Oh, (laughs) there's such a good example. There's so many examples. We're going to be talking about this particular issue on the Start Your Engines podcast, the last podcast of the month. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, how men and women are taught that direct communication goes against our gender roles.
1: Yeah, or isn't as holy Mm -hmm. as other
0: options. Yeah, and it's just totally not. It's total bunk. It's total bunk. Um, But John Piper...
1: In Good old Piper.
0: Book, in his book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, said this for example, a housewife in her backyard may be asked by a man how to get to the freeway. At that point, she is giving a kind of leadership. She has superior knowledge that the man needs, and he submits himself to her guidance. But we all know that there is a way for that housewife to direct the man in which neither of them feels their mature femininity or masculinity compromised. I will take problems that just don't exist. For 300, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> And as he goes on to explain the issue, he says this to the degree that a woman's influence over a man is personal and directive. It will generally offend a man's good God given sense of responsibility and leadership and thus controvert God's created order.
1: Again, this is so not an issue. Like, and that's that's the thing is like, I know there's a lot of people who really believe this. I know that there are people who feel so strongly about this, who have been told this so much, they do believe this, but this is utterly ridiculous. This is so not a problem. Yeah. So if you, if you are at a restaurant and you really have to take a dump, And there is a 17-year-old female hostess there. And you ask, where's the bathroom? She is not usurping her God-given role as your hostess (laughs) by saying, down that hallway to the left. Should she instead say, well, I know that when I get real leaky, I tend to walk just past there. And then I look around, and if I see a door that has a bathroom sign on it, which you probably will at the end of the hallway, but what would I know? I got ovaries. You know, then I turn and I look at the one and I'm like, okay, there's two doors here. There's one that has a picture of a man on it. And there's one that has a picture of a woman. And then I just choose the one that God leads me to. And I would really suggest that you the, just the do match, the same thing. That matches my role. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like,
0: and, and, and so he's telling women that they have to give directions in a way that is not personal or direct. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, well, I personally like to...
0: When I go to the freeway, (laughs) it's just I go through three sets of lights, turn left, and follow the sign. Yeah. That's how I do it.
1: You, as a man, may have superior knowledge to me. Yes. A female who merely lives in this area and drives onto the freeway every single day to get my kids to and from school. (laughs) You know, but you know, what do I know? Yeah. I
0: am easily deceived as a woman. (laughs) And so, and and this is where we get into all these ridiculous... ridiculous things is that we tell women that it is a sin to speak directly and so the only option that women have in order to address their feelings and needs is to be passive aggressive and manipulative yeah or to just
1: or to just completely downplay their experiences so that it's not offensive Mm -hmm. to their spouse and we have an example
0: of emerson egret showing women how to be passive aggressive oh yeah gosh okay so this
1: is the only time it's not passive aggressive it's like just passive
0: yeah well i think it can be passive aggressive we'll we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll let the l- listener decide yeah. we will debate it afterwards but in love and respect what he doesn't do is give throughout the book any real examples of how a woman can express her needs or wants in a marriage in fact when his wife asked him to stop leaving wet towels <sighs> on the bed and to stop leaving candy wrappers on the floor. He used that as an example of her being disrespectful.
1: Yep, and about how then when she went away for a trip and she asked, did you miss me when she came back? He and his sons all just stayed silent. Yep. And said it was nice to not have such a nag around or something like right. that. Right, yeah, it was nice to not be
0: nagged. And yep. so the resolution to that was that she stopped asking him yep. to stop
1: leaving wet towels on the bed and candy wrappers on the floor. So because, in essence, she yeah. just decided... I don't matter to these people and so I might as well just not even try to right. matter and, to them. And and that
0: happens throughout the book. So yeah. but at the end in appendix it's, it's literally the last page of the book. He does give away that women can speak up if their husbands are doing something wrong or are
1: in sin. I think you're using the word speak up a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. That that wives can open their mouths and have words come out. Yeah, it's like you know, you keep using that word. I don't <laughs> think that it means <laughs> <laughs>
0: and <laughs> And this particular um, example is focused on a workaholic husband. Yeah. And this is how, the, I, I'm going to read the excerpt. To influence him directly, respect, so that he's directly, so he's, he's saying this, this is, is direct communication. Yeah. So to influence him directly, respectfully say, your son, daughter, children, whichever, needs you at home more. You have a unique influence on him. In certain areas, nobody matters to him as much as you do. It may not appear that way to you, but your positive presence has the power to mold him. I know you are swamped and have little time, but I also know that you want to give him that part of you that no one else can give to him. Thanks. After delivering your, we need you at home more message, don't repeat it for anywhere from 10 to 20 days. Then mention it again quietly and positively with a general tone of just a positive reminder because of your importance. Have confidence in God's word. Quietness shouts to a husband.
1: I just love that I say it quietly and positively. Hey there, just reminding you. You have a positive influence in your son and you are staying at work a lot. And I just love how much you influence your son. So, yay. Also, maybe stop being a deadbeat dad. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't say the last
0: part. No, but now let's think about our six, six elements of direct communication. Yeah. Right? Right. He's not doing any of them here.
1: No, she, he's she, telling the wife that she's ad, she's actually not allowed to do any of them. So, because, I mean, obviously it's it's hurting the kids that he's not home, but it's also probably hurting her. Yeah, but she's she, not even allowed to he, say that. He, and, and it's interesting
0: because he says, after delivering your, we need you at home more message. Nowhere does she actually does say, she actually say we need you at home. More. Yeah,
1: your son needs you at home more, or your daughter, or your children. But in the options of who she says, she doesn't mm-hmm. even put the wife in there. No, she she never actually expresses any feelings. She
0: also doesn't ask him for anything. No. Saying I need you at home more is not the same thing as saying, please. Yeah, can you let let's talk about your work hours because. I would like you at home more. It's not the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's not a, uh, you know, I recognize that work is really swamped right now, but can we figure out a more sustainable system? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe even going into work an hour early so you can come back an yeah, hour. Yeah, she's not like, actually no. asking
0: him for anything. She is simply stating things. She's stating her observations. Her observations are, we need you at home. You have a unique influence. You're, you, you're chil- you can be a positive influence on your children's life that no one else can, can and have. And you're swamped. And you're swamped. So those are, she's making all kinds of observations, but she is not asking him for anything. She's not stating what the aim of the conversation is. Mm-hmm. She's doing none of that. And then she said, then he says that she needs to be quiet for 10 to 20
1: days. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous because really you do not need to be quiet. Mm -hmm. Like ever. And this is again, this is all this stuff where it's like, let's make problems where there are none. Yeah. You know, this is this does not need to be difficult. It really doesn't. If we are expecting that we are two adults in a relationship, it should not be difficult to simply say, hey, life's really hard right now. I get that. You're really busy with work. But this is also unsustainable. And this can't keep going on because at some point, your work is harming the family, mm-hmm. and we're working for the family. So and let's I'm lonely. It out. I'm lonely, and you know I would really like you to be
0: home more. Like that's yeah, that's okay. That's to valid, say. and you know. We're making it so difficult because we are saying that to speak in any way that is actually direct would be
1: her usurping his role as the leader of the house. Yeah, or
0: disrespecting him. Or disrespecting
1: him. And I just think when we can get past all of these boundaries between, like when we we stop thinking about how to communicate without getting in the way of all these gender roles and just talk about what is helpful and what is actually effective, Mm -hmm. like... It's not that hard. It's nope. not that hard. We exactly. are creating so many problems where there are none. Exactly. Like, do we or do we not believe that we are supposed to be equally yoked in our marriages? Right? Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. there are two oxen that are working along. You're equally yoked. And so the burden is lighter because there are two of you. Mm-hmm. What this is doing, this whole idea of, like, you can't cr- directly communicate because of your gender roles, is actually like getting rid of that whole biblical concept of unity within a marriage, mm-hmm. because you can't be equally yoked when one oxen is deciding which way you're going. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's not how this works. Yeah. And, and you can't be equally yoked if you are digging your heels in and just trying to pull the other ox the other way without actually just, you know, plowing ahead in a healthy direction. Yeah. So you had to do it together. Mm -hmm. You can't just try to manipulate. One more thing from
0: his quote I just need to bring up. At the very end of that, he tells her to say thanks. It's like, what did she, what did he do? What's he,
1: what's he, what's she thanking him for? Yeah, Thank you so much for being such a workaholic that I had this opportunity. To tell you how important you are to your kids. Yeah. If you hadn't been a workaholic,
0: I couldn't have said this. Like, is she saying thank you for listening? Thank, thank you, you for, for exhausting. Walking thank away you for I, I have no idea what she's even saying thank you for. So it's like this is how indirect this is. And we need to say too, and, and there's another poster in our series about how this whole messaging can also hurt men's ability to, yeah. to directly communicate. You know, if men feel like I need to be the leader, then for him to express any weak any any Weakness or what is seen as weakness is not actually It's not weakness. actually weakness. But again, but, they're making problems where there are
1: none. Yeah. Calling it weakness. But for him to have any needs or any emotions is therefore not manly. Well, and not only that, what happens if you're a man who's reading something like love and respect and your wife comes up to you and very, very quietly and timidly says hi, honey, you're working a lot and I'm just worried that the kids aren't happy. So you can't say I'm worried because then it implies that you're a person and that's disrespectful. Sorry. (sighs) And the children need, you know, your unique influence. And thank you so much for listening to me. And then she doesn't say a single word to you about it for three weeks. And you're a good guy who's trying to work this all out. And you're like, okay, like, ah, (laughs) something's really, really wrong. And, you know, I need to sort this out. And why not just... For Pete's sake, just talk about it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, you don't need to sort it out on your own for three weeks until your wife brings it back up again. Like, you can just say, oh, you know what? We've totally missed the mark in terms of our work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Let's figure
0: this out. But I think men are told over and over again that women... Um, can't be direct, Yeah, that women's communication is always indirect, that women never say what they need or want. Yeah. I mean, the the tropes about that, how, yeah. how men need to read between the lines. And it's just it's so funny, because even Shanti Felden says this, like she has this one article on three reasons why women don't tell men what they want. And they're all like, she wants you to prove that you really are going to work for her work. To get yeah. her love and none of them are because i told her that it was a sin to do so exactly where shanti's
1: <laughs> whole books are about how you can't be direct with your husband or else you might disrespect him and then yeah. she's like huh why might all these women who read my books not be directly communicating <laughs> maybe it's because they read my books <laughs> i i love what you said how we've created problems where there are
0: none where there are none and we need to stop so our false teaching of the week gay is it is a sin for women to ask for what they want yeah exactly um because that's just not true direct communication is always good it may feel like you're mean It may feel really awkward because we're not used to it. Mm -hmm. When we ask directly, we give the people a chance to say no. And that might make us feel insecure in our
1: relationship. Yeah. Or if you have to say something about how your spouse has frankly failed you or has, you know, Mm -hmm. really gone off on a bad way, that's not going to be fun for them to listen to.
0: No. So it's, it is, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But remember the goal. We're fighting for intimacy Mm -hmm. and you can't have real intimacy in marriage if you're not honestly sharing what's going on in your heart and so the only way to achieve intimacy is if two people learn to directly communicate Mm -hmm. now we're going to take this conversation and we're going to expand it a bit beyond marriage to our kids and we have a great interview with Brett Ullman who has written an amazing parenting book about a, a special thing that they do in their family to encourage communication Well, I am so excited to bring on the podcast Brett Ullman, who I have kind of known. For a couple of years online, we kind of go back and forth and comments and things like that. And Brett actually lives really close to me, which is weird because not a lot of people that I talk to do. But Brett is an awesome um, speaker, writer about parenting, goes goes all over North America talking about parenting. And we are here to talk about Brett's awesome new book. It is a huge handbook for parenting. Let me get this in the camera for everyone watching on YouTube. Parenting, navigating, everything. And it is everything. So hello, Brett.
2: Hi. What's funny is the original title of the book was actually just the word everything. <laughs> a little too much, so we got narrowed down to parenting, navigating everything. Anyway, uh, it, I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. And you know, I was, it really is about everything. It's awesome. Like it's, if you just want a handbook, it covers all the stuff from when they're little to different parenting styles to how to handle questions when they're teens about dating and porn and drugs and all those issues that we have, should you spy and everything. And, you know, because I've been talking so much about dating on the blog lately, I thought we could jump in on that. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what, if I have Brett, let's talk about what's actually more foundational, <laughs> which is if you can lay the right foundation then the teen years were a lot easier.
2: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you found that. How many kids do you have?
2: I have two, I have, uh, my daughter Zoe's in going to second year university at a school called Western, if you're Canadian, and my daughter is out more, oh sorry, my son Ben will be at Queens for his first year starting in a few months weeks. Oh,
0: wow. I'm a Queens grad. Keith's a Queens grad. Mm -hmm. So yes, (laughs) we met at Queens Christian Fellowship. So that's awesome. There was one chart that you had that was kind of a scary chart, but you turned it around to a happy chart, which was about the marbles Mm. in the book. Do you want to explain how you use that analogy?
2: Yeah, it's, it's just called the marbles jar analogy, which is the idea. And I want to make sure I get the numbers right. The day you have a kid, you have 936 weeks 936 marbles until they kind of graduate grade eight. Now it's not perfect unless you have a kid who's like June 23rd or whatever, but the idea is <laughs> that each week, take a marble out. Uh, it's the idea of passing of time because that week is done and you can't get it back. I always say in my talks, when I talk about that, when I mention that marbles analogy, you see parents of teens, especially get weepy. I've had people burst into <laughs> tears Jeez. because we're, yeah. we grieve as our, like my wife and I in September have no kids in the house. And there's a bit of grieving with that, mm-hmm. even though we're excited, they're going away. Uh, and so I would carry the marbles with me. I actually, I did for the first, I think it was only the first talk. I was speaking in London, Ontario. I took 2000 marbles. I had three different jars, you know, a baby, a middle school kid. And then I had how many I had left. I'm on the highway. I got cut off by a transport truck. And as I'm like, breaking, you know, I'm not thinking, am I going to die? I'm wondering, do I have lids on the marbles, a jar? <laughs> which I did not. So suddenly 2000 marbles are all over the ground and I don't take them with me anymore. But what I always say is I like the idea of an, it's a marbles, a jar analogy with a twist, which is the day your kid graduates. So for me, like my son, he's now, you know, past grade 12. It's the idea of putting a marble into the jar. Every time you do anything, you know, anytime you, you Go to Starbucks with your kids, go on a vacation, you know, hang out, watch a TV show. And then as your kids get older and engaged, and for your kids like married, you know, anytime you support them, FaceTime, anything, then when they have children, you babysit, you do anything, you know, it's it's the building that marbles jar. And then, you know, as soon as it's filled, you dump it out and start it again because a parent is a parent. But that 18 years, I mean, we talk about prevention, that 18 years is just foundational parenting which shifts as they get older, you shift to those friendship years, as we kind of call it. And mm-hmm. I love the analogy. Now there's a app called the parent queue that will allow you to do that on your phone for free. Now I, I like the physical analogy. Like I actually have above me, like I like physical marbles because there's something about it, but mm-hmm. if people don't want to go buy marbles, just go on the parent queue app. And literally when you Turn it, in, turn it on. It will say like, how many kids do you have? When are their birthdays? And every time you go in, you can see how many marbles you have left.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I will put a link to that app in the notes for this podcast. As we're thinking about these years being foundational and how we can build into their lives so that we have that healthy foundation and they're mm-hmm. more likely not to make huge, terrible decisions, or if they do make huge, terrible decisions, they're going to come back to you (laughs) afterwards. I was looking through your book at some of your ideas for how how to build that foundation. And I thought one of the things we could focus on, because I thought this was such a cute thing. And it's something that parents can grab hold of and take hold of, especially for this time of year, is that idea of the annual family general meeting. So can you explain what that is?
2: Sure. I did a program called the Arrow Leadership Program a number of years ago. And I was out in British Columbia where this one was being held. And the director at the time was a guy named Carson Pugh. And he challenged us to have an AGM, an annual general meeting with our family. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking in my head, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Sorry, Carson, but that's <laughs> what I kind of thought. And we came home and I I said to my wife, this is the idea. And so we we thought we'd do it. And so kind of August, you know, we're heading into that time, you know, like the, the before school time, put an agenda on the fridge. And my kids were probably eight and seven. Uh, I don't know if we ever even told them what an agenda is. There's just suddenly a page on the fridge. Uh, we got to the day of our meeting and there was nothing. Like it's just a blank piece of paper. And we talked about, you know, we're going to be a Christian family. What does that mean? Uh, you know, if our church has a few church services, which one do you want to go to? Do you need new shoes for soccer? What are you going to dress up at for Halloween? And I'm not going to have a debate on Halloween, but you know what I mean? Like it's the, yeah. the mm-hmm. what do you want to like, I don't, my, more my wife doesn't want to know you want to be a dog on October 30th. And so right. it's just planning and there's no, I love to the idea. There's no unwritten rules. Mm-hmm. Like everything's just laid out. Uh, but the idea is that we're a family and we're going to talk about everything we're going to walk through things together do we want to go on a family vacation if we do it's going to cost money so we might go for dinner less or how are we going to save money or will that be your Christmas gift and then we went out for a meal and I mean when the kids were young it was McDonald's and it wasn't a great meeting the first one uh, but the next year you know we explained what an agenda was and uh, day before the meeting we're looking at it it's filled. Like, Sheila, it's top to bottom. There's things written on the side. But the number one thing at the top was they want a baby brother or sister. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're talking about real things. Uh, But number two was uh, my son, both my kids wanted a dog. And we kind of said, so this part, uh, this time of our life, I had left teaching because I was a teacher for 10 years. I'm now in, quote unquote, ministry. So I'm not making as much money. My wife is a half-time nurse, not a full-time nurse. And we're like... If, if we're going to go on vacation, we probably can't afford a dog. And my son says, well, I'll give up the do- I'll give up the vacation. Then.
0: Uh-huh.
2: He's only eight. Like uh-huh. these are rich conversations, but what I love is it's setting the foundation. The foundation is we're a family. We love you unconditionally, no matter what goes on. And we're going to set the stage for the next year. And I just think to me, it's been probably one of the more foundational things. Now family dinners would build off of that. But just one of those things that, you know, too often I think there's unwritten rules or we just don't talk about things. And this way we just, we addressed it and we talked about everything. And it's become a really fun and rich time. Like I look forward to doing that in the next few weeks because I don't know where my kids will be at the end of the summer. They've been at camps and back and forth. But for us, and I challenge everyone, it's just been one of the most foundational things we've ever done.
0: One of the things that I really liked about it as I was reading it in your book is the fact that what the family meeting does is it gives your kids a chance to have input into things. Mm. Because I think as parents, that's something that we often shy away from. And we think we need to be the ones to make the decisions to set the agenda. But there are areas where we can give kids more ownership of certain things. And I love the fact that you let your son choose between the pet and the vacation.
2: (laughs) Well, the goal, one of the chapters is the progression of parenting. Like
0: mm-hmm.
2: your goal is to remember the what was the movie? Failure to launch? Do you remember that from a lifetime? Oh, yes. Matthew McConaughey. Yes. Like mm-hmm. the goal is to launch our kids. So like my wife and I, it's success. Both our kids will be away at school. I mean, it's there's some grieving and sadness to that, but it's exciting watching them do that. But they better be ready to go away to school. Meaning, like we're talking about things in family meetings, but that's leading to conversations on dating, sex pornography, eating healthy, sleeping, like, you know, you don't just suddenly mid grade 12 say to your kids, oh, we're now going to address these tough topics. Like it is a long season of teaching and trainings to equip your kids to then head off. Now, not everyone heads away to school, but no matter what, it's the teaching them how to be successful in all of these aspects of life.
0: Yeah. I, looking back I wish we had done that more because there were some really big decisions that we made as a family that I feel like we could have given the kids more input into. Now, I think even if we had, we would have come to the same decision because they were on board. But I think allowing your kids to to speak up and own part of that really just helps them to feel like they have a say. And if they have a say, then it's much easier for you to lay down the law in other areas, <laughs> I think, like, you know, because we know back. that you listen
2: it's this paramount importance that we have a relationship with our kids.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
2: a, there's a, a curriculum called the orange curriculum. A lot of churches use this. There's the orange conferences through the U S but they, they use this great kind of analogy. You have two types of influence. One is positional influence and it goes down. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the other is relational influence and it goes up. So like when you have a baby, you have a hundred percent positional influence. I always say, if I'm speaking live, which I really miss speaking live, but when I'm speaking, (laughs) if someone doesn't like what I say, you pick up your baby and you walk away. But if you have an 18 year old and you're like, I'm gonna leave, your kid might say, hey, I wanna hear the rest of this. So like the goal, your positional influence wanes, but the goal is that we have this rich relationship with our kids that not only is it because it makes discipline easier later and because our kids will listen to us, but it just sets the foundation for everything. And I just think there's a prevention, I mean, that book Upstream by Dan and Chip Heath, if people haven't read it, Mm -hmm. it's just before the house is burning, how do we make sure it doesn't? Like before, you know, thinking of, you know, a lot of the the topics on sex, before we have people with broken marriages and addictions to pornography, Mm -hmm. how do we have good healthy sex education? Before our kids, like the impetus of creating this book was one conversation with a father. I finished speaking on mental health, which is probably my second biggest topic. Um, Mm -hmm. And a father walked up and he said, hey, Brett, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. He said, how do I talk to my daughter about sex? Wonderful question. I'm just glad someone's even asking that. And so I went to answer and he interrupts me. He says, oh, Brett, sorry, by the way, she hates me. Go ahead. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And he said, well, don't worry about she hates me. How do I talk to her about sex? And I'm like, you don't like if you don't have a relationship with your kid, You do not have that influence to speak truth into their life. And I was driving home that night and I realized I'm a topical speaker, like very topical. I speak on parenting, media, you know, this kind of stuff. But I had nothing for parents on how to have a relationship with your kid. Mm -hmm. And that's where I kind of began reading. And like the first six chapters of this book are foundations, parenting styles. What ones do we do? What ones don't we do? Because there's a whole bunch that we need to do. And there's a whole bunch we need to do less. Mm -hmm. Do you have rich communication? What does communication look like? You know, do we as parents, I was going to hold my phone, but like, you know, you have your phone in your hand and a kid comes in the room. Do we put our phones down and turn and look them in the eye? Like, what does communication look like? What does spending time with our kids look like? Do we spend time with our kids? I think COVID's changed things because we've had a lot more time. And even discipline, which is, uh, I think we get discipline wrong. And I generalize, but I think discipline's about teaching it's not about punishment yes and it's a huge shift like even this morning i'm online and i got called hitler and stalin today wonderful <laughs> day <questions>.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> i think of all people you might understand you might understand the vitriol that goes online but i was just challenging spanking saying that i don't think you know proverbs is actually talking about physically hitting someone and because of that i got called hitler and stalin but uh challenging the idea for me of discipline it's about teaching our kids you know if they get in trouble for something how do we teach them to do it right the next time like if their brother little you know siblings are fighting and one gets in trouble how do we equip them so that the next time they don't fight if your kid comes home late for curfew and they're 15 how do we equip them to not do that next time because this is this is the teaching aspect and so if we can get these foundations set, then when we walk into the dating, pornography, sex, drugs and alcohol, I mean, there is so much stuff we need to address and we have to address. I mean, this idea of we're Christians, we don't have this stuff in our lives. I mean, I travel almost exclusively in the Christian church world and there's a lot of stuff we need to address. Like when I finish speaking at a church and they're like, you're the first person to ever address pornography or or first person I've ever heard talk about mental health. How, like if you ask people, what do I need help in? These are the topics that people go, I'm really floundering, like I don't know what to do. So how do we equip our parents to equip our students to connect their ancient faith with their modern world? Like we need to look at putting these things together to have success in all of these areas before it's just destruction. Because what I see in high school, It's a destruction. It's the, I wish I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so how do we maybe go backwards? Like give me a junior high kid any day. And I say the word pornography and a bunch of them laugh and it's like, that's okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We can walk through that as speakers and then equip the parents to have good conversations, but I'd much rather have a conversation earlier than actually having uh, who's the um, person who says it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Like, yes, men yes. but what a yes. wonderful quote.
0: Well, my agent always told me when I was, when I was thinking about writing parenting books or even marriage books is that nobody wants, like people think that they don't need it until a crisis happens. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there's so many, you know, there's help for how do you get your kid to not have sex or how do you get your kid to stop watching porn? But that's too late when you're asking those questions. Like you said, we're coming in at the wrong place and we really need to to help equip parents to do it when they're younger and to build those kinds of relationships so yeah i would just encourage everyone who's listening try the annual general meeting it's august now so it's right as the school year is beginning it's a great time to evaluate your preferences and and your curriculum and your schedules and whatever you're going to be looking at (laughs) for the next year
2: on my youtube channel i actually have YouTube video, you can even put that in the show notes. Like I have a video on how to have an annual family general meeting. And the truth is you can do this however you want. There's no, Mm -hmm. someone once wrote and said, Oh, you had dinner. Can I do breakfast? (laughs) Sure. Like it's your family, do whatever works for you. Some people go away for a night, you know, go in a hotel, but no matter what it is, it's just beginning the foundation of we're a family. And I think from that, you build that. I mean, I talk about this unconditional, you know, I love you forever and always. It sounds like Robert Munch. I'm pretty sure it probably is Robert Munch, but Uh you know, do our kids know we love them forever and always it's easy when they're younger, but we talk about those things like as they become teenagers, like do they, do we know we love them forever and always when they mess up? Yeah. That they can come and talk to us because what we want as parents is when our kids are at a party and they get drunk or high, they call us like, i I told my kids, I'll pick you up any, anywhere, anytime, any place. If your mm-hmm. kids mess up sexually, if your daughter gets pregnant, come and talk to me, right. As a dad, as a mom, as opposed mm-hmm. to a park bench or a clinic or something else, like we're not condoning things, but we're a family and mm-hmm. like, nothing will come. There's nothing you could ever do. I say to my kids, that would ever take, you know, my love and acceptance away from you. And when I, well, I remember when I said that my daughter got a bit teary, like, it's kind of like, we're here for the long haul, right? It's not like us, me and like my wife Dawn, and then our kids, we're a family. Like, how do we equip you to do life? And how do we make sure that we're there for you through all these things? And so I think the family meeting is just a great place to start. Family dinners would be another one.
0: Mm hmm.
2: I think it's Columbia University. There's like four studies. If you eat together as a family three days a week, they say all these statistics go far down. Teen pregnancy, drug use, dropping out of school. This is not rocket science. These are simple, easy to do things that you can begin in your family to kind of get better and move forward.
0: That's awesome. Well, the book again is Parenting, Navigating Everything by Brett Ullman. Um, and thank you for joining us. This has been really helpful. I will put links to that YouTube in the show notes, but where else can people find you?
2: Uh, everything comes off my website, which is just my name, Ullman.com. And I am, I'm not really a blogger, Like you're a blogger, true blogger. I'm a curator, meaning Uh I read about 200 blogs a week. I mean, they all come into my, an app on my iPad, but then I take the best content and say like, hey, everybody, you know, here's a new book by Sheila, or here's a really great YouTube video on mental health. The other week there was one that talked about how the word of the day is how you're feeling is called languishing. And I'm like, oh, what a great word that is. And so, you know, share that out. But uh, there's about 1200 articles, blogs, YouTube Videos all divided by category, and at the top of my website is all my social media: mm-hmm. YouTube, awesome. Instagram. What I always say to people is, is you know, what's the uh, Netflix one? Uh, social dilemma. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. that one? Mm-hmm. How do we combat that? And I'm like, like every like when you go to like whether it's someone like yourself or me, go to the top of their sites and like everything. So like when we finish this, and I open my iPad, I don't just want dinner and dogs. Now I have an English bulldog. I like English Bulldog Picks, but I want rich content. And so like thought leaders, like authors, like bloggers, like pastors, and so that you can fill your social feeds with content that can help you as a parent, help you in your faith, help you in things you're struggling with as well. But people can find me online, Uh, all that stuff, everything comes back to me. So. Yeah, thank Perfect.
0: You. And that, yeah, I just want to reiterate that because I think a lot of people don't know that when you are on Instagram and Facebook, if you get stuff that you don't, you're not interested in, it's probably because you're not liking enough stuff that you are interested in. And also when you like my posts, when you like Brett's posts, it does make Facebook show it to more people. So the more that you like the posts, the more that you review the books, the more that you do all of that, it actually really does help us. So that's a way that you can help. Your can I make
2: one comment about this? Like this is overwhelming. I know it. It's six books in one. And even the topics of things like parenting and even the stuff, you know, sexuality and and porn and media, they're overwhelming. But the old Home Depot quote, you can do it, we can help. Like, Mm -hmm. parents, we can do this. These are topics that we can wade into and use the people around you, pastors, leaders, bloggers. uh, But these are things that we can do. But it's just going to take some being strategic and intentional to actually address these things in our lives.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, Brett.
2: Thanks, Sheila.
0: I love that idea from Brett about the annual general meetings. I, you should do that when your kids are older. Yeah,
1: maybe not right now. My son is still not really talking no. other than banana and woof. Yeah, but. basically he wants
0: more bananas in his family and yeah. in his life. So yeah. that's good. And our annual general meetings are awesome. Okay, as we are wrapping up this podcast, we have something encouraging to share. Yes, we have a review we wanted to read. Yeah, and this one actually came in as a comment on the blog. And I loved it so much. I sent her an email and I asked her to put it up on Amazon. You guys do not understand how much it helps us. Yeah. Seriously. Every time you review or rate this podcast, mm-hmm. but also the Great Sex Rescue, a lot of people are asking, what can we do to help you get the word about the Great Sex Rescue out? And Review it on Amazon. Review it on
1: Amazon. Review it on Goodreads. Buy one for your pastor. Yes. <laughs> buy
0: one for your Women's Ministry Leader. It helps us
1: so much. Also, if you buy one for the pastor, you can do it anonymously. Just buy it and drop it off in the office.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, <they laughs> there you not
1: You don't need to hand it on with your own business card attached to it okay yeah yeah. request one at your local library make sure they have it all that sort of thing okay would you like to read stephanie sure Okay, here's a great review. I first heard of Sheila Ray Gregoire on the Image Bearers podcast, and a lot of the ideas presented resonated with me. Then I read The Great Sex Rescue, and I was hooked. I spent the last month or so binging on all her content. The way I described it to my husband was that the book felt like oxygen, like I was slowly suffocating and dying, and the book was a breath of pure oxygen. And I instinctually ran towards it. Other women are having that same reaction. My husband has now finished the book and he's recommending it to our married friends too. We're throwing out all the books with bad teachings, not even donating them because they're not fit for human consumption. Thank you. That is yep that's Mm. a service Mm. and reviewing other books to see what they say with a more critical eye thank you for your work Sheila it's helped my marriage more than anything I've been married 10 years and we have a decent marriage but we've had a lot of trouble in the sex department I'm so happy that God led us to you
0: that's wonderful thank you that was such an encouragement to me when that first came in and it's just great to read stuff like
1: that well and that's that's always great because when we did our focus groups that's what we heard over and over and over again was we had a great marriage everywhere but sex yeah. You know, like we had a great marriage, but sex was hard. We had a great marriage. Sex was difficult. And getting over these teachings is often what takes those marriages where they are genuinely good marriages. Where they're really close friends. Mm-hmm. But sex is really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to deconstruct some of these harmful false teachings that you've been given can take a good marriage with a bad sex life and just make it into a great marriage with a great sex life. Yeah, which isn't that what we all want. So I love
0: that, it's oxygen. And I really think intimacy is oxygen. Mm -hmm. Intimacy is being able to share all of you with the one person in the world that you love the most, And so I hope you enjoy this direct communication series on the blog this month. Um, Sign up for our email list so that you can get uh, the assignment at the end of the month so that you can work through this with your spouse and improve your communication so that you can grow together as a couple. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.